Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, we hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. Um, going forward, uh, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and um kind of what all he means. Uh, so the, uh, we're going to talk about Jesus and salvation. We're going to talk about Jesus and like evangelism. We're going to talk about Jesus and all these different things. Um, but tonight, the kind of my main idea that I want to, to invite us into this evening is I want to kind of like help us set the stage for that. And that is by bringing the spirit that Brew Church has where we kind of like don't hold on to anything too tightly. Everything is up for discussion. Everything is open for questioning and looking at and, and taking apart and putting back together. Um, like, I want to take that and kind of put that onto what we think of uh, when we think about Jesus. Um, I know for a lot of us, depending on where we come from, we might come here with a Jesus, a version of Jesus that's, like, maybe not very helpful. Like, we might have come with, like, a very fundamentalist Jesus that's really angry with you or, or I mean, all sorts of different things that might be helpful or might be harmful. Um, and I want to invite you all to be like, hey, this is all up for conversation. Um, this is all okay. Um, to talk about. So, uh, with that being said, um, I want to tell you all about in the summer of 2011, a movie came out, and that movie was Transformers 3, Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> yeah, I saw one fist pump in the back, and that is the exact appropriate reaction <laughs> to that movie. Um, so, this movie comes out, and it's, it's Transformers, right? Like, we all know what to expect when we walk into a Transformers movie, right? We're going to see it's a CGI robot punching fest. It's going to be awesome. Your inner nine-year-old is going to think this is the most rad thing they've ever seen in their life. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's Michael Bay, and so, you know, it's going to look cool. It's probably going to be maybe slightly sexist, um, <laughs> maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean... It could get worse, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's real bad. I'm um, just what I'm saying. Um, but the but either way, the film comes out, and it's 2011. Uh, it gets mixed reviews. Audiences kind of know what it is, and they're like, "Yeah, it's fine." Um, critics, however, are they they are less enthusiastic about this film. Here are some uh, reviews that came out, um, and here's one from James. Um, Bernadelli from Real Views, and he says, it's not often that a movie is bad in every way imaginable, but <laughs> Transformers Dark of the Moon manages to achieve this dubious distinction. <laughs> All right, Todd, McCart uh, Todd McCarthy from The Hollywood Reporter says, as insipid and as soulless as they come, Transformers Dark of the Moon is a visually impressive but intellectually an emotionally bankrupt spectacle. Um, for those seeking, this is, here we go, for those seeking a barrage of brain-numbing and ear-splitting action scenes, Transformers Dark of the Moon fits the bill. For everyone else, this bloated Solus sequel is a crushing disappointment. Um, 
They just keep they just keep going. Oh, oh, here. Okay, here's a banger. Uh, the Transformers franchise hits a new low with Dark of the Moon, an exercise in numbing excess that plays like a 157 minute commercial for Hasbro toys and Chevrolet trucks. So like that, okay, so just like this is the expectations of this film, right? You know exactly what you're getting in this movie, okay? It's Transformers. However, it's the summer of 2011, and I am in the theater. It would have been the, um, it would have been theater in Wichita. Uh, we went with my family. It was like a big deal. I don't know why it was a big deal. I think it was like uh, 4th of July weekend, and we're there, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, I'm like, this movie made me feel things. Okay, like now, and I know that I know what you're all thinking. Stay with me. Um, so, so I'm in this film, and at the end of Act Two, there's this scene where, um, to set it up, the Decepticons have taken over the world, and they're like, "Hey, humans of Earth, you need to kick the Autobots off of the planet." And the Autobots um, agree to it. Now, I'm assuming, well, Decepticons and Autobots, you all know that. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I didn't have to explain that. Okay, so. The Autobots have like, okay, this is what you want. This is the choice you're making. Um, we'll leave. And so the kind of the main protagonist of the series, uh, he's asking like Optimus Prime, the leader of the Autobots, he's like, so what's the plan? Are you coming back? Like is there, what's the deal? And he's like, no, it's all on you. Like this is, this is now your fight. Like you, you chose this. Um, you, get a, you get a deal with it now. And so the Autobots get on their like spaceship, and as they're blasting off, um, they get blown up. Like a Decepticon sneaks in, and there's a fighter jet, and like pulls them up. And it's this big moment that only Michael Bay knows how to do, where like everything swells and it's dramatic, and you're left there with a protagonist. And the big question is like, these 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 like superheroes who were your friends, who gave you guidance and comfort, who like rescued you numerous times. Um, they're dead and they're gone and they're not coming back and the end of the world is happening and what do you do with that? And I was sitting in the movie there and I was like, ugh, like this, this hit me. Um, in the summer of 2011, I was in the middle of, I'd gone through like a pretty significant, like, like, like personal life was, was a disaster. Um, I, my, I was in the process of moving to uh, go back to school leaving my hometown. I was in the middle of a faith deconstruction. I was like, God is either not real or doesn't care about me or anyone else. Um, so, like, I, 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 I resonate with this movie, right? The question is, is, like, what do you do when your gods are dead? And the answer is, like, you just do your best and try to figure it out. Um, and, 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 yeah. I, I, I say, that I tell you this story because there's... This, there's the, the event, right? There's the film itself, and we all come to it, and we take away from the movie kind of whatever we bring with us and what, what, what's going to happen to us. We all walk out of this movie, and some people are kind of come out and be like, that was a like two-and-a-half-hour-long commercial for a Chevy Silverado, and there are other folks who are like, I felt seen, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, um, and, and, and neither one is, is right. Maybe one is better than the other. I don't know. Um, I just see that as like, we have perspectives when we come when we come to stories. Um, another example of this is Martin Luther King. Uh, I just finished up. Um, I work in a school, and we just finished up a um, a living history museum for African American for African American History Month. Um, just wrapped up, 
in February, and I'm working with my students, and he has chosen uh, Martin Luther King Jr. And so we're working on his presentation, he's making his board, and he wants to use that quote from Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, where he talks about how I have a dream that uh, you know my daughters will be able to play with you know other kids, and I have a dream that um, one day, and this is the quote that everyone loves to quote, that one day my children will be judged not by the, by the content of their character, content of their character, not the color of their skin. And everyone loves that quote. Martin Luther King Jr. Day rolls around, and the most conservative of our politicians will be quoting that and being like, see, see, MLK agrees with us on everything that we, we say. And then on the other side, you have other individuals who are like, no, no, you're, you're taking this one line out of context. This line about content of character over color of skin comes in the middle of like talking about like the actual racist events that are going on in Mississippi and Alabama and they're across the South. Like you're just ignoring the actual historical reality for a whole bunch of people. Um, and so we see how we have both sides and I'm not trying to both sides here because one side is definitely, I believe, correct. Um, we, we have two, two, two folk or two groups of people like looking at this person, looking at this speech, and looking at this quote, and like trying to use it for their own ends to further their own ideas. Um, one of them is is probably more right than the other, um, but that's not a conversation I'm planning on having here tonight. Um, so that brings us finally back around to Jesus. Um, and we're going to start off with the Gospels. Um, hope you brought your Bibles with you. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to. I don't do that. Um, uh, so in the early church, as, as the first generation, there were those who immediately knew Jesus, right? You have the 12 disciples and those who were around him. Um, Jesus dies, resurrected, ascends, whatever, however we want to talk about that. That whole thing happens. Those initial people were the first, like, call themselves, like, we call them Christians or followers of Jesus, part of this, like, new religious movement that was kind of growing out of um, Judaism. Uh, and those first people, like, they, they saw it, right? They were a part of it. They witnessed it. And then after them, there was this another group of people who probably didn't know Jesus. Maybe they knew of him, but they heard most of their stories came from those who knew him firsthand, and then a few generations pass, and eventually, like, there is no one alive who knows Jesus. Everything we know, about everything about this movement, as it grows and spreads, comes through storytelling. It comes because we are telling stories about Jesus. And something about those stories clicks, and it hits people, and it resonates with people, and they find it motivating, they find it powerful, and they find it beautiful and inspiring, and it changes their life so much that these people are willing to, like, go through all sorts of stuff in order to, be, like, become a part of this movement. Um, and what that is for everyone is probably probably different based on who they are and where they come from. Um, and so eventually, after a little while, folks decide we should start. We should probably start writing these stories stories down so we have them, you know, written, you know, for, for posterity. And uh, and so that's where the gospels come from. Uh, the gospels are written over the course of maybe a few hundred years. The first being written Mark, and then we have with Matthew and Luke, and then John was the last one written. Now, the, the, the thing about the Gospels is they don't line up. There are a lot of contradictions in the Gospels, okay? If we start from the beginning, uh, let's say we start with Matthew 1 and we have Luke 1. Both Gospels open with the genealogy of Jesus. Both Gospels start with Jesus, and then we get to Joseph, and then after that, we don't agree on anything. 
So Luke like traces this like complete like none of the names line up. Matthew's over here. None of these li names line up. Luke takes his all the way back to Adam um, through Abraham. Then of course you know Noah and then Adam and then Matthew just takes his back as far as Abraham. And for some reason Matthew thinks it's really important that you know that there are 14 generations from like Abraham to David, another 14 from David to like. Babylon and then another 14 from Babylon to Jesus some reason that's important. I don't know Matthew thinks it's a big deal because he tells you about it um, And so like these these don't line up Then we have the Christmas stories uh, the Christmas stories like you could say that maybe they're focusing at different events But you know, Matthew seems to only talk about uh, the Magi and a big deal about makes a big deal about Herod uh, You have Luke who likes to talk a lot about the shepherds um, those don't seem to cohere 100%. Mark and John both are like, we're not going to talk about this. Mark is like, hey, guess what? We're not going to we're gonna ignore everything about Jesus as he's a baby and a child. Uh, John jumps in, and he opens up, like, the beginning of, I don't know, Star Wars. And he's just like, in the beginning, the word was God, and the word was with God. And, you know, he's like, he just came down off of a psychedelic trip. Um, <laughs> like... Like, these, these Gospels open in completely different ways, and they go very different directions. Um, John starts off Jesus' ministry with a cleansing of the temple. Like, John is like, no, that was the first thing Jesus did, cleanse the temple. Um, for everyone else, that was the last, one of the last things Jesus did. That was the first thing he did when he got back to Jerusalem at the end of his life, like a few days before they tried to kill him. Um, we have them uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. We talk about the Sermon on the Mount. That's a big deal. We find the very same sermon in Luke. However, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Did Jesus give it twice? Did he have like one canned speech that he gave in different places? I don't know. Or, or is it something else? Um, so these Gospels don't really line up. And at a certain point, um, like, like people knew it. People like knew that gospel the, of Mark and Matthew and, and John, like they didn't agree on these things. They didn't agree on a lot. Um, and people knew about it because in the second century, a fellow by the name of Tatian came along and he put together, like compiled this document called the Diatessaron. Um, Diatessaron? I, I don't know. Like the first time I started, it, it sounded like a Tolkien, like a, a sugar-free Tolkien um, villain. Uh, I thought that was a great, that was a great pun. Um, um, but the, uh, so like, so he writes this and it's just meant to be this compiling of all the gospels, all the, the contradictions have been ironed out. Everything's been flattened. Boom. We nailed it. We got it locked in. Um, good job guys. And the early church at this point was like, no, we're fine. Thanks. Um, they actually considered it a heresy. Like, this idea of we're going to have the gospel all locked in with all the contradictions, like, taken out. Um, they're like, no, that can't be a thing. And so they called it a heresy, and they, they got rid of it. Um, and the reason they did this, I think, is because it speaks to the reality that the, a life of faith um, can't, isn't one of these things that we can easily iron out. There's always going to be a certain amount of, like, this multiplicity to it. The fact that as er, uh, early Christians looked at the Gospels and they're like, we have four different Gospels that all seem to not just agree, not just agree on what happened, but seem to have very different takes on who Jesus was, 
Um, you have Mark who comes to the end and he's like, empty tomb, shoulder shrug. Like that's the end of it, right? You'd never really get anything. And then you have Luke where it doesn't just tell you, here's Jesus leaving the tomb and then ascending. Here's the next, like what happens because of that. And he goes on to Paul um, because Luke and Acts were always meant to be part of the same um, book. They weren't meant to be read separately. Um, for Luke, the whole, that whole thing was important. Like the story doesn't stop with just an empty tomb. Um, and I think what that does is that allows for us to then live in that multiplicity, right? There are days where I'm like, I'm like, I get, I'm at Mark, right? Where I'm like, man, I don't know about this whole thing. Maybe, maybe the tomb was empty. I don't know, man. Um, and then there are days where I'm like all the way in and this is makes sense. And I'm like, yes, this is 100% true. And I think that we have baked into our faith a, a multiplicity that kind of like allows us to really live into that. And I think that's what we find here at Brew Church. Uh, we find this multiplicity where we have um, at different tables, you can have a variety of stories uh, that people find meaningful. We can find a variety of Jesuses that people have found compelling and moving, uh, maybe hurtful, maybe all sorts of different things that have history and, and all of this. We can bring all that and our Jesuses can meet together. I don't know, that sounds weird. I kind of think about the, um, the Talladega night scene where everyone's at dinner praying. <laughs> Right? Yeah, you get like, my Jesus likes to party. He's got a tuxedo shirt on. <laughs> Bunch of angels playing Skinnerd. Um, like, that's what it's right. Like, I know that, that story is like stupid and dumb, but like, that's how it is, though, right? We all kind of have this Jesus in our minds that we've created, that we've met, that we've somehow found compelling enough to bring us here. And even if you're like in the process of deconstructing, you still have. Like something brought you here today and you still have something maybe rattling around in you that you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Do I let it go? Do I keep it? Do I throw it away? I don't know. Um, one, one final thought. And uh, C.S. Lewis, okay, so the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis, um, he, he had this argument um, called Lord, Liar, or Lunatic. And it was basically like he was trying to prove that Jesus had to be who he had to be, or he said he was. And his idea was that um, Jesus made, claimed that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, um, all that stuff, right? And so either he, we don't, we don't believe him, he's a liar, like he's lying about that, and he's just a grifter. Uh, he is delusional, and he doesn't know what he's saying. He, like, maybe he believes it, but it's not true. He's, 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 he's off it. Or the third option that Lewis outlines that he is, who he says he is, he's the Lord. However, I find this, this, um, this whole thing is like, that's rather reductive. Because I know that the Jesus that I've experienced doesn't always line up into those places. Um, maybe a better thing is, is Lord, liar, lunatic, or just awesome. Right? Something that you've met, something that you've had this experience with, a story that you found compelling that you're like, man, even if this is bunk, like it's beautiful enough that I really hope it's true. Like maybe that's, that's the Jesus you find and we don't need to fall into this. Like, well, it has to be this way or this way. And so that's kind of my goal for this, this, um, the series. We're going to talk about Jesus in a lot of different like kind of facets and hopefully y'all can, um, as we come together at these tables and we talk about these stories about Jesus, uh, that, our different Jesuses can meet and that we can learn from each other and find maybe new Jesuses. I don't know, but that sounds cool. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone.